Wait a second. This isn't your grandma's cancer show. Not your grandma's cancer show. Hi, and welcome to Not Your Grandma's Cancer Show. This is a show that loves grandmas but understands it's a little bit different when you're diagnosed with cancer in your 20s, 30s and 40s because chances are you were in the middle of doing something else. You know, whether that be college, starting your career, um, dating, finding that someone special, leaving that someone special um, because actually they weren't really that special <laughs> to thinking about children or definitely not thinking about children to starting a family. So that place in life is really different than when someone gets cancer while they're in retirement, having already made the decision whether or not to have a family. So that's why this show is here. Um, since cancer is rarer at our time of life, we don't often have that circle of friends that we can call up, have a bit of a chit chat with. Um, so it can all feel a bit isolating. And especially since friends don't always know what to say. So that can be a little isolating. But on this show... It'll be kind of like hanging out with your friends. You know, there'll be a diversity of opinions and stories from other younger adults. So you know with what you're experiencing, you are not alone. And there's actually about 75,000 of us in the UK. So kick back the way you would with your friends um, because we've got a great show coming up. We've got the lovely Kynwyn Giles joining us from Shine and um, to share her story. And in the second half of the show, we're talking about that particular kind of anxiety that comes along with getting scans or tests. Um, some of you may know that as scanxiety and how on earth do we deal with that or not deal with it since we've all been there but you know we experience it in really different ways. So we'll be hearing from Christopher and Mira later on but right now we've got Kynwin here. Hi thank Hi. you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Kynwin obviously um, you're from South Croydon with your accent? Yeah, so, I'm yes. from Toronto, um, but I'm, I'm Welsh-Canadian, so my, my dad is Welsh. My mom's actually um, from London originally, and um, yeah, I lived in Canada until about, um, well, it's a long story, but I moved here about 10 years ago. Yeah. So I haven't picked up much of an accent, though. <laughs> well, I, I love it, and I am one to talk about dodgy accents. Cause... Yeah, we got a whole, a whole host of dodgy accents on this show at the moment. <laughs> Um, I'm actually from uh, London, but uh, was uh, tainted by 15 years living in America. But now, yeah, now it's slightly back. Australian. I know, yeah. I know. I've never been to Australia. I wonder what would happen if I ever <laughs> did go. So, Kynwin, um so you're a part of Shine. Yep. And when were you diagnosed? So I was diagnosed in 2010, February 4th, 2010, and. I guess, like, for most people, it was a massive shock. I um, I had been pregnant, and I just had a baby, and at the end of the pregnancy, I got really ill and ended up having an emergency C-section, so I had this tiny premature baby, and I just didn't feel well as soon as I had um, my daughter, Meredith, and, you know, I kept telling the doctors I didn't feel well, and I had 
you know, sort of fevers and felt really sick and I couldn't eat. And um, they thought it was complications of the pregnancy. But I ended up getting really severe back pain um, once I was home and um, sort of went to the hospital in an ambulance. Um, and I remember at the time thinking, gosh, it's really, you know, dramatic to call an ambulance. Like, you you know, <laughs> it seemed really extreme. Um, and, and then actually I realized I was really sick and it probably was the right thing to do. But I was in the hospital for about three and a half weeks um, while they did tests looking at um, what could be wrong. And yeah, then finally they told me that I had lymphoma, um, but they didn't know what kind it was. So I had to wait another couple of weeks or sorry, another couple of days to find out what type of lymphoma it was and what stage it was. So. And how old were you? So I was 35. I had just turned 35. And were they not running those tests originally because you were younger or? I don't think they were looking for it you know I think they thought it was a pregnancy complication so Mm -hmm. that at first they were doing that and then because I had a lot of fevers and night sweats um, and I traveled a lot in Africa they thought I had malaria then tuberculosis was a good candidate for a while and you know you're in the hospital long enough tuberculosis starts sounding okay you're like oh all right (laughs) it doesn't sound so bad that that's curable Um, and I suppose I probably missed a lot you know I look back on it now and I think oh they probably knew for a while something was wrong because I had a scan and they found something in my liver and they told me we found lesions in your liver but I had no idea what that meant so I was kind of like oh okay Um, and then they said oh you've got a mass in your chest and again I thought well it doesn't sound great but okay you know um, it never occurred to me that it could be cancer and it was only once they they did a biopsy of a lump under my arm and then they came and said it's lymphoma and I didn't even know really what lymphoma was. I remember right. saying to the doctor, isn't that cancer? And they said, yeah, um, but we don't know what kind and we don't know what stage and blah, blah, blah. So, um, yeah, it was just a huge shock. And it was stage four when it was diagnosed. So it was really, it was very far advanced. It was in my bone marrow. It was kind of everywhere. And I didn't even know what stage four meant. I thought there were probably 10 stages. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Was your baby home at this point? Was your baby, because how premature was she? So she was six weeks premature. And she was six weeks old when I was diagnosed. So I always think she was kind of zero. <laughs> um, so she was really little. Um, she had just been out of the hospital for, I don't know, maybe a week. So she was at home with my husband. Um, he obviously then couldn't really come to see me as much as he would have liked because he was looking after her. At that time in the hospital, was there anyone else that was around the same? Like, did, did you get mm. to meet anyone else in the same predicament as you? No. No, I mean, I spent, because they didn't know what was wrong with me, they they put me in a bunch of different wards. So at first I was in, I think they didn't have any beds, so I was in the liver ward with a, a lot of lovely people, but they were alcoholics, so they had a whole bunch of, <laughs> they had a whole host of different problems. Um, and then I got moved into gynecology, um, where again, you know, there were people just with sort of quite different problems. Um And then once they knew what was wrong with me and, um, you know, I think they told me on a Thursday, you've got diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, you need to start chemo immediately. We're going to start on Saturday. They moved me into my own room. um, So I didn't really see anyone. And then if I I went to the kitchen or something, the people that I would see were really old. Um, So certainly nobody that had a baby at all. I mean, none of the doctors or nurses really knew anybody who had had a baby. And so how long were you in hospital for in total? 
So in total, I went in sort of mid-November and I got out the end of May, middle of May. Um, so it was about five and a half months, something like that. Um, they, I, because of the the cancer that I had and it was it, how advanced and aggressive it was, they put me on a clinical trial, but you had to stay in as an inpatient. And it was it was pretty intense chemo. So it was like, you know, the first round was 15 days, I think, of chemo in 28. And then you'd have a break. You'd become neutropenic. You'd have a break. You'd, luckily, you know, if you were lucky, you'd go home for a couple of days, uh, recover, and then come back. And then it was seven days of chemo in 28. And then you'd have another little break. So I was in the hospital for most of that time. Very occasionally, I could convince them to let me go home for an afternoon or something. Oh. You know, if I was all right, I'd be like, please, just let me go home for an afternoon. Um, but yeah, I spent a lot of time in the hospital. And and I imagine just missing your daughter like crazy. What was that like when you were finally out of the hospital and able to be at home as much as you wanted? It was wonderful and it was great to be with her because, yeah, I just missed her terribly. You know, I didn't get to take care of her, which was really hard to see everybody else taking care of her. It wasn't, you know, I thought my maternity leave was going to be having coffees in, <laughs> on Hampstead Heath or something. And um, and then I was looking at Hampstead Heath from the, the hospital room, but I couldn't even go outside. Um, so it was great, but it was also, it was really hard. You know, I think I was in shock. I, yeah. I wasn't, um, I look back on it now and I don't think I was really at the time, I thought I was with it, and I look back on it now, and I think, no, I wasn't with it. You know, I was, I was in shock. I was exhausted. I was really worried that um, I was going to die. Um, so, you know, I kind of got through each day, but um, it was really difficult, and I was physically exhausted too. You know, just to from lying in bed for almost six months. You know, my muscles were wasted. I didn't have a lot of strength. I'd been really, really ill. I remember you mentioning that you went into your workplace. Um, after you were out of the hospital and um, someone asked you how how you were doing. Mm, yeah, yeah, I went, um, I mean, again, trying to be normal, I thought, oh, I know, I'll take my baby in to see my colleagues, um, which was a huge ordeal because I had to take the tube with the buggy and I was bald and, you know, um, yeah, and I got there and my boss said, oh, how are you doing? And I said, oh, you know, I'm okay. I'm really tired. And she said, oh, I was really tired when I had a baby too. <laughs> and I was thinking, I'm sure you were tired, but you probably didn't have a baby and stage four cancer. Um, so, but, you know, that was probably one of the first times I thought, wow, okay, people don't get it. You know, they don't get how tiring cancer is and how tiring the treatment is, let alone having a baby. And so when did you start to meet other people like in your in your age range or having a similar experience mm. to you? It took a while. I um for a while I was going to a hospice for um physiotherapy and some counseling. And you know, as you might imagine, everyone in the hospice was lovely, but they were about 80, so I was, you know, 50 years younger. There was one guy who was going to that hospice who was about the same age and he'd also had lymphoma so we had little chats when we saw each other so that was nice but I didn't know anybody else and I ended up getting in contact with you know another big cancer charity saying you know do you know any younger people with cancer and they basically came back and said oh we know one woman in pool 
Um, but that's it. Um, but this is her email address and this is her website. Maybe you want to get in touch with her. Um, and that was how I met Emma. And that's sort of the roots of Shine as it is today, really. Um, but yeah, that must have been, I don't know, close to a year after I was diagnosed, I think. So I, I didn't really know anybody up until then. a long time. Yeah. And so so tell us about Shine mm. and what it is and what it does. And Well, when I met Emma, she, um, she was running Shine um, mainly as a kind of, you know, a non-traditional support group for younger adults in Dorset and with another woman, Justine. And they'd done a great job. They had a, a really big network in Dorset. So I got in touch with her and I said, you know, I'm, I really feel like we need the same thing in London because I... You know, I thought at first I must be the only person that this has happened to. But when I started looking at the stats, I thought, okay, I know I'm not the only person. So there must be other people. And um, Emma and I met for a drink and we talked for hours and it was really great. And um, yeah, we kind of talked about starting a group in London. And then I guess as we were talking, we started thinking bigger and thinking, well, actually, you know, there it's not just us, it's it's everybody who's gone through this, you know, in the UK. And so we then started, we did an online survey because we wanted to find out, we knew what we knew from our experiences, but we wanted to know what other people thought. thought. So we did this online survey of young adults with cancer and then off the back of that ran a workshop in London um, in, I think that was the beginning of 20. 12 March 2012 and we had 25 people come there and it was just an amazing day and you know to be in a room where everybody has cancer sounds like it would be a miserable experience but actually it wasn't it was it was a fantastic day and people didn't want to leave um and I one of the comments we got at the end you know was um when you do this again make sure you go for drinks because Mm -hmm. um the we kind of finished the workshop and and people left so after that, we started a group in London, um, getting together for drinks kind of every six to eight weeks. And it's grown from there. And then slowly other people have got in touch with us and wanted to start their own groups. And so mainly Emma has done a lot of the supporting around that, setting up groups. And so today we've got 11 groups across the UK. Um, and we're starting a second one in London, which is called Shine Plus Ones, which is for partners and friends of young adults with cancer. So We've, yeah, we've grown hugely, but it's, you know, it's still only scratching the surface, really, of, of all the people that we like to just kind of be in touch with. Because it, I suppose our philosophy is very much that we want to have a community of young adults with cancer so that people know that they're not alone and they have friends that they can talk to about what they're going through. And that's really what you miss um, yeah. as a young adult with cancer, I think. Absolutely. And, and that's actually how we met. Yeah, was, yeah it is. Absolutely. Was yeah. I, I had heard about Shine and I'd heard that, you know, there were drinks yeah. involved. Um, and it sounds like such a crazy thing, but it, going out with friends for a drink became fraught. Mm. You know, I found that I couldn't drink alcohol the way I used to be able to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and And I was embarrassed about that. And it sounds like a silly thing to be embarrassed about. And it seems like, oh, I should be able to tell my friends, actually, I can only have one drink and everyone would understand, but people don't. Mm. And they think that, you know, if they go to have a second drink, that you're you're leaving them alone or something. Like, you know, so they'd go ahead and buy a second drink and put it on the table in front of me. And I, I know that they were being 
you know, hospitable, but it, it was kind of like, it, it just felt pressured and I knew I couldn't drink it. And, you know, I was scared of saying to someone, yes, I'll go out because I thought, well, what if I get there and, and I'm tired? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was New Year's Eve that I stayed in by myself because I was so, you know, scared that I wouldn't be able to make it through a night and I didn't want anyone else to feel bad about me leaving. So the idea of going for drinks with people that don't care if you drink as much as you want, don't drink, drink a little bit, um, come with makeup, come without makeup, be able to um, leave five minutes after just saying oh I'm, I'm tired everyone's gonna go yep understand mm-hmm. that like that was the beginning of being able to like transition back into the world mm. um and so yeah I mean I think for me you know we obviously we don't only go for drinks I, <laughs> I'm always personally up for drinks but um you know we go for dinner we go bowling we been to this crazy ping pong bar as well in London but I think there is something about being with people who just do get it you know if you're you know I know we're going to talk about scans later but if you're going for a scan it's not you know your friends go yeah it'll be fine but actually these guys from Shine they know what that's like and they know that they know what it feels like for it not to be fine Um, so I think yeah, it's kind of like, in a way, it normalizes it. So yeah. if everybody's got cancer, you can almost talk more freely about other stuff because it's just there in the background and you know that people understand where you're coming from. Absolutely. And so um, speaking of extending drinks or extending that time together, yeah. you you do a, an annual escape. We do, yep. So we started that this year. And this was something that Emma and I had wanted to do right from the very beginning. Um kind of have a longer period of time. We knew the you know, the sort of the drinks and the coffees and stuff were really great, but we thought, you know, what if you could get people together for three days? What could you achieve then? And so we did a lot of research into various forms of retreats that go on in other places. And we put together one in Bournemouth. So it's held at a great hotel called The Grove, which um, is amazing. They cater to people with life-limiting conditions but the fabulous thing is nothing you throw at them phases them so you know you can go in and say I'm really ill you know or I need this type of food I need a nurse and they can do it for you and we had 24 young adults with cancer come in January for three days and it was just a real mixture of kind of that sounds technical but the kind of peer support you know friendships getting to know other people who have lived through something you've lived through or a similar experience and then also some expert advice so we had a fertility specialist come we had somebody who facilitated a session on work in cancer which was great um we covered nutrition and exercise i'm sure we did oh um we also um so the escape is open to anybody men and women any type or stage of cancer so we had a number of people who are living with incurable cancers so we had a session about that as well we talked about relationships and then we also you know we just had fun we did a big walk one day outside um which was fabulous and we had a kind of we had like a choice of activities. People, some people did a movie night. There was a, a drunken bingo contingent as well. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it was um, it was really fun, um, and we had really great feedback from it. Everybody loved it. Well, it isn't a weekend until there's a drunken bingo moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> 
So what is some of the, the feedback that you got from people about the weekend? Well, we did. So we did an evaluation right um, after the escape and everybody who came, you know, we gave them a scale from sort of terrible to fantastic. And um, (laughs) everyone who came said it was fantastic overall, which was great. Obviously, you know, there's always going to be things that you can tweak. Um, I think we packed a lot in. So um, we're doing it again this year. We're going to try and put in a bit more free time. But people, I think they... They got a lot out of it in the first instance, but we followed up six months later just to find out, you know, what had happened. Like, it was great at the time, but maybe they've all forgotten about it. And it was, for us, I think that follow-up was really important because everybody was still in touch with somebody that they'd met on the escape. You know, people asked us if we could do it again, if we could run a reunion. (laughs) Um, They'd found a lot of the information really useful. Um, and, And those friendships, I guess, like that was... You know, the one thing that Emma and I really wanted was that the friendships would sort of endure and that people would come out of that feeling like they were part of of something bigger. And I think that hopefully that's been achieved. And that's kind of that's what we want to do again in um, in January 2015. Very cool. And, of course, Shine is uh, presenting this show. Yeah, so. yeah. So we're growing. You know, we're trying to think of different ways to, to reach people that maybe can't come to a Shine network. Right, yeah. right. And so what's the Shine website? So if people want to find out more about the, yeah. the retreats. So then. it's Um We're also on Facebook. Um, we've got a public page and we've also got a private network, which has about 350 young adults with cancer. So you can apply to join that if you search in Facebook for Shine Young Adult Cancer Support. Um, You can also search for Shine Plus Ones, which is our group for partners and friends. And we're on Twitter as well. So there's many ways you can find us. (laughs) Excellent. And and Kainwin, what's your own experience with um, Scanxiety? Because it's been... Four years? Yeah, four, no. yeah, almost four and a half years. So I had, um, you know, a sort of a load of scans, you know, PET scans, MRIs, uh, CT scans. And I think bizarrely at the beginning, I wasn't really that worried because I didn't think anything was wrong, you know. So, okay, go, go for a scan. But I can remember when I finished my treatment, they didn't do any scans while I was having my treatment. They just said, do the treatment and then we'll do a scan afterwards. And yeah, I mean, I remember waiting for the CT scan that I was having and just kind of, I mean, again, at the time thinking, oh, this is perfectly normal. But looking back and thinking that was a bit nuts, like deciding I absolutely had to make a massive carrot cake and I was going to grate about 100 pounds of carrots and just sit in my kitchen grating, grating, grating while my mother-in-law looked after my daughter. Um, And she was kind of like, are you okay?" And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm just making cake. Um, And And did you eat the cake? I can't even remember, actually. Someone must have eaten it. But yeah. um, And I remember, you know, so I went for the scan and then obviously you had that horrible wait and it was sort of it was about a week and I went to the hospital with my husband to get the results and I remember seeing my consultant you know we were sitting in the waiting room and seeing my consultant in the hallway and he was talking to somebody and in my mind I thought okay this is the man that my consultant is talking to is the guy that they've like brought in because the treatment hasn't worked, you know, um, and that's why he's talking to him and it's going to be really bad news and just actually feeling physically sick, like not knowing whether to cry or throw up. Um, 
and in you know in the end I was lucky it was actually good news the the treatment had worked really well and um, I think that was the first time I saw my consultant really do a big smile um, but you obviously have that every time you have to go for a scan and it's that roller coaster it's the cancer roller coaster right you get on it and mm-hmm. then you don't come off it I don't think um, so yeah it's it's not an easy thing not an easy thing at all and um, but but you managed to make something during that time that's kind of a productive way and like and everyone's so different with mm. how they handle that that stress um, and you know some of us turn to to making food or eating food <laughs> which uh, I think you know had you made a vegan carrot cake I probably would have eaten the whole thing um, but we've also got um, joining us to chat about this subject because it is such a varied subject and we are all at different places in how we feel mm. about scans and test results and what that means. You know, is it coming back? Is it on the move? Is it still stable? So um, so joining us, we have Christopher Riley in the studio. Hi, Christopher. Hi there. <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So Christopher, um, tell us... Um, when when you were diagnosed? I was diagnosed in 2008 with chronic lymphocytic leukemia. Um, so that's coming up to six years. And so you have a, a little bit of a, a different experience in terms of what scans mean for you. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? I suppose I, I differ in a sense where you get a lot of talk of survivorship and um, sort of people being in remission, whereas for me, I'm on what's called watch and wait. So I'm living with the cancer and it's you're managing it on a day-to-day basis. Um, so I have a CT scan on an annual basis to look at the, see how um, enlarged my lymph nodes have become, my spleen, my liver, um, which are some of the symptoms of the um, leukemia. So what's it like coming up to that time of year? Do you find yourself anticipating it? As, as, as the appointment's approaching, like, um, as I was saying, because it's, it's a month between usually the scan and the actual results, um, it's got better with time. I, 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 I personally don't find I'm as anxious as I used to be. I think because, I've, it, because my um, leukemia is very slowly progressing, um, you don't feel so so anxious because you, you're, you're used to living with, with the actual sort of disease. Um, so my anxiety is definitely lessened over time. Um, of course, you sort of, you get snappy and grouchy as the appointments are approaching and you're not aware that you're doing that, but yeah. it's, it's there. A friend of mine wrote um, in a blog post that it was like um, a computer system that has a program running in the background and it's just draining energy (laughs) so that and and that really resonated with me because yeah you're much more likely to get that bit irritable even if you you're not putting it down to that because your energy is being sapped in the background Yeah. yeah yeah so and we also have Mira joining us, Mira Shah, and she's on the phone. She's not with us in the studio, but we're delighted to have Mira here. Hi, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. <laughs> Been listening in on the phone. <laughs> how are we doing? <laughs> You're doing very, very well. Well done. It sounds great so far. Oh, excellent. And so, um, Mira, can you, can you tell us when you were diagnosed and, and what you were diagnosed with? 
Um, yeah, I was diagnosed um, on the last bank holiday in May 2011. Um, I've got a plasmacytoma in my sternum, but um, it took a month to confirm the diagnosis because you're told that you have multiple myeloma until proven otherwise. So it's pretty much a month-long load of tests until they decide, oh, actually, it hasn't spread beyond the one site. So, yes, now we can say it's plasmacytoma. So you had a, a month of that. How, how did you, you know, did you have any particular coping mechanisms for going through that month? Or <laughs> was it, um, were you in shock? Absolute shock because, um, again, I was in a similar situation to Kynwen that I was quite ill in pregnancy. In, in 2010, I was pregnant and had my son in October. Um, and in my third trimester, I had a lot of chest pain um, and then had my son, had Rohan, carried on as normal but was in extreme pain back and forth to the doctor, back and forth to physio. And at no point did anyone or myself suspect that it could be something as sinister as this. Um, so it was a bit of a, yeah, shock finding, even to the doctors. I would say, but even they were shocked. Where are you now in terms of um, getting your scans? Like, how often um, are you getting So I'm them? in remission from the plasma cytoma, um, but I am being monitored closely because anyone with plasma cytoma is at risk of relapsing and progressing onto full-blown myeloma. So it's a lifelong um, monitoring now. Um, and But I've graduated to the six-monthly program, which is great. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, it's great when you go from one month to two months to three to four to five to six. <laughs> um, but my monitoring is done mainly by blood tests right. because my tumour throws off a protein that um, is detected um, in blood tests. Um, and they're just monitoring the level. So at the moment, I'm in the normal range of having that protein and... Um, the blood test would be the first thing that picks it up if things were becoming abnormal. Then it would be the progressing to the scan because then we'd be looking for where the tumours come back, which bone it's come back in. Um, so I would say my anxiety is all around the blood tests. Right. But yes, I've had, I've had scans kind of pre-treatment and post-treatment just to see where we're at and especially to confirm how well the treatment went. And how how do you um, feel now coming up to, you know, that's that six month? Like, do you find yeah, any changes so in your um, your outlook, or do you find increased irritability or or tiredness? Like, how how does that feel for you? Well, it's interesting listening to Christopher because I'm three and a half years post diagnosis, but I'm actually getting more anxious with time. Um, when I approach my tests because I keep thinking, oh, I'm getting closer to that five years and, you know, they've given me the stats on how many people relapse within the first five years and I've avoided it for this long. Right. Am I going to avoid it for the next test and the next one after that? Um, so I actually, my anxiety worsens each time. Um, but it's usually the week before I go in for the blood test um, and then it's a week waiting between the blood test and the appointment. Um, and it's, it's lot, lots of different symptoms of anxiety. I get lots of physical symptoms, going off my food, 
feeling very unwell generally, feeling pain in all my bones because I've convinced myself it's come back. Mm-hmm. Um, sleeping lots more, not focusing, not really concentrating. Um, you, you kind of go into a bit of a daze for a few days. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's a, and the min- minute you get a great result, it's an instant switch and you're back to normal again mm. for another six months. And, and actually, I wanted to ask um, all of you a question of, is there anything that people say to you that is not helpful during this time? And is there anything that people say that can give comfort, you know, during, during that time that, you know, you're, you're waiting for results that could change everything? Um, so, Kynwell, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. I think it is really hard when people say, oh, it'll be fine. You know, I've lived with it. We've all lived with actually knowing that it's not always fine. And I think it's one of the hardest mental hurdles to get over is like, maybe nothing will ever be fine again. (laughs) Um, And so, but that's a really difficult, I think it's a really difficult thing to say to people because you sound like you're being horrible in some way. But I'm not sure that's a really helpful thing to say. I feel like it would almost be more helpful if people said, you know, like, I really hope it's okay. But if it's not, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it Mm -hmm. together kind of thing. Um, Because at least the acknowledgement that your worry is not unfounded. Yes. I suppose. Because the it'll be all right is is a bit of a shutdown. Yeah. Like, how can you mm. tell someone, well, actually, I am worried after they've 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 closed the door on that. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to be fine. They've they've declared it. I remember somebody saying to me when I was waiting for my initial results. Yeah. But my mum says you're going to be fine. is your mother a doctor (laughs) (laughs) no um you're too young my mom declared and um and and yeah like i mean how are you gonna argue with someone's mom you know that i'd never actually met yeah Yeah. uh, which was even weirder but yeah people do say the oddest things christopher has anyone said anything to you that was particularly unhelpful or helpful whichever springs Um, to mind not uh, the same sort of kind of glib responses, I suppose. But I think it's people need to have an awareness that that quite often people will step up when you're going through treatment. Um, but it's all part of the same thing for people with cancer, whether it's this test or that test. Mm. It's all stressful. It's yeah. all worrying. It's all. It's not just as you're going through one thing. It's the whole experience is at, at times incredibly, you know, frightening. Um, but I th- but people tend to think, oh, it's just a scan, but for yeah. you it's not just a scan and that's the difference yeah and that's that's a huge huge difference and actually Mira it's interesting that you said that you know you kind of revert back to life um afterwards like I've noticed for me it can take me a few days to sort of come back because um after a scan there's also that that post-scan worry of well maybe next time um you know and that thing yeah. of that realization that you know whatever has just happened is going to happen I'm going to go through that again and yeah kind of like you were saying that increased um feeling over time sometimes that you know um anxiety can decrease but it can also increase Mm. there's no Mm. um you know specific way so I I almost find that these days I give myself I give myself a, an in-bed day. I don't yeah. actually have to stay in bed, but I give myself almost like a post-scan grief day. 
um, <laughs> a, a day off and that it's okay that I haven't bounced back. But I'm really glad that, that you do. And I think that's the really, you know, interesting thing about this is, is um, how differently how differently we go through it I think I think it's just a reflection of how we all process things differently because even with my initial diagnosis looking back I feel I did all my grieving in between having my biopsy and getting the confirmed test results and actually once I knew I had the cancer it was almost like okay I know what's wrong with me now we can deal with it that's that's really interesting um, I know with um, this was a, a specific study for breast cancer and um, they studied the levels of anxiety with people waiting for results and anxiety once they were diagnosed and anxiety levels went down stress levels went down even with a positive diagnosis you know we, we've all got different lots of uncertainties in other aspects of life but the cancer uncertainty is another biggie that's thrown into the mix um, at, and I think, well, at a time in our life when we should be out doing other things and having fun and living our lives. Yeah. And that I think that's, you know, there's definitely an argument to be made that, uh, yeah, our, our whole lives become, on some level, a scansiety. Mm. You know, I mean, the scans are kind of these defining moments, um, you know, those those little words of you know, I'm sorry to have to tell you, or however they told you the first time being relived is is this moment, but it comes up, you know, so many different times a day. You feel a new pain or, you know, you hear of it happening to somebody else. And, and to some degree, we're, we're all dealing with a, a low level and sometimes high level of yeah. anxiety anyway, but those are just the moments that bring bring it up to the foreground. If you guys can see that bruise, it's, it's a tiny little bruise, but I was looking at that yesterday and I was thinking, can you have lymphoma of the wrist? Like is, you know, what what's caused that bruise? And I've probably just hit myself and didn't, I don't know what it is, but you know, it's just all those little things which, which pass your mind and you realize it's always in there, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, you say that to anyone else and you know, I can kind of joke about it now that there's no lump or anything, but it, it is just always there. Yeah, I'm the same actually because um, my red blood cells can get quite low, mm. which means then I would bruise easily. So every time I have a bruise, I think, oh my God, that's it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's all happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I've had, I mean, I've sort of self-diagnosed myself with, you know, breast cancer, kidney cancer, a brain tumor, <laughs> all sorts of things since this has happened. Um, just because you think, well, if it could happen once, can it, you know, all joking aside, if it can happen once, it could happen again somewhere else. And and that kind of low level of anxiety, I think other people don't have in their lives. No. no. It, it, and it, that's there every day. Yeah. Yes. You know, and that, that and then, the, you know, that cloud of recurrence, it's it there in the back of your mind in everything you do. Yeah. And Mira, um, I did hear that um, during one bout of scansiety you did something pretty adventurous. Uh, yeah, it was a moment of going nuts, I think, um, although really fun. Um, my first PET scan post-treatment was about six months down the line. I was actually really excited that it would all be very positive because I felt more well than I had felt six months ago, six months previous. And um, I didn't expect to go in to find the results that um, actually the tumour appeared.
appearance hadn't changed in the six months post-treatment. Um, and at that stage, the consultant said, okay, we're going to watch and wait. We can't confirm that the treatment's worked. We're not really sure what's happened, but there's no evidence of spread anywhere else, so we're going to hold off on chemo and stem cell for a while, and we'll rescan you. And I just thought, oh, shit, it's all over now, <laughs> kind of thing. Well, you know, obviously you have lots of emotions, and a lot of those emotions were processed in the few weeks afterwards because you, you do kind of leave that appointment in a bit of a daze. Um, so I actually went back a week later then to talk about things again and then got a second opinion. And, you know, you do all the things to reassure yourself that things are okay. And I was given reassurances that they think the treatment had worked, but they weren't sure at that point. Um, but we then had a frank discussion with the consultant about things that I wanted to do in my life. And I said, oh, one of the things I always wanted to do was to travel in retirement because I've never taken a gap year. And she said, well, why wait? Just do it now. You know, you're well, you're, able, you're fit and able to travel. It's a great time. You know, your son's the right age. Um, so I turned around to my husband and I said, shall we do it? And he said, right, let's do it. And we spoke to the consultant and we said, when's the next scan? And she said, oh, well, let's plan it for October. So literally in the next few weeks, we started booking our trip and booked our flights to leave um, on a round-the-world trip about three weeks after my scan. <laughs> around the world? Yeah. So we didn't do anything by halves. My husband took a sabbatical from work. Fabulous. We gave my son's nursery notice, and we booked round-the-world tickets, and we started booking our trip. Um, for the next three months. And that's how we pass the time between scans. <laughs> <laughs> that is certainly one way to do it. Yeah. Um, and then we were just, yeah, we were just waiting for the next scan um, results, really. I, I then, instead of having a PET scan, I had an MRI, just to mix it up a bit. And we went back for the appointment a week before we were due to fly, where we were just waiting for the prof to say, yes, you can go. <laughs> Um, and we did. That's fabulous. And um, it, but that was a great scan result. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and going forward, are you are you planning to do anything else like that? Um, I need to go and earn some money first. <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to. Actually, those four months away um, were a real eye-opener on how I wanted to spend my life um, not knowing, you know, what whether it's limited or not. Um, and I just thought I want to do more fun things, more things on my own terms, in my own time. And if I wanted to wake up at midday, that would be okay as well. Um, so, yeah, we, we started making plans so that I could have that kind of a lifestyle and looking for work that would fit in around, you know, appointments, fatigue, having fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 glad to hear that the that the scanxiety ended up propelling you to to have a good experience. It, yeah, it was a it was really pushing um, the limits to the extreme of hmm, what should we do? <laughs> um, but no, I think from well going forward, um, actually off the back of conversations about this podcast. Um, we've now decided, because in the last 18 months we haven't done much, 
um, post-scan or pre-scan or, you know, blood results, whatever. Um, and we thought, actually, you know, we're having tests twice a year. Um, why not celebrate those test results and book something fun for the weekend after I get those results? Um, and, you know, if they are bad results, then at least I've still got something fun booked in before the roller coaster of treatment starts again. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's a, so, a nice way of, of, of doing it. And I think that that's the thing is to, you know, after after having a little bit of time of going through this, you know, and, and realizing, like, you know, what you need going mm. through that time to have something good to look forward to afterwards mm. to invite people over that like carrot cake <laughs> um, <laughs> you know to just yeah giving yourself the space so you know that that people know that if you're not quite yourself um that's that that's okay um you know from making the small changes to making some of the big changes it's really being kind to ourselves yeah yeah during that time um so i'm so happy to have had all of you here <laughs> on the show today um so i would love to thank kynwin and christopher and mira all for joining us thank, thank you. you thank you, thank you for great. having us and thank you to all of you who are listening and we'd love to hear from you how do you go through your scanxiety um you can send us a message or you can tweet us um at uh, twitter.com backslash nygcs not your grandma's cancer show um not to be confused with the new york um genome center (laughs) (laughs) they uh we have an s on the end of ours um and you can also um email us um through shine as well so um and that's info at shinecancersupport.co.uk yes so we have more great guests and topics coming up um, in future shows like sex and relationships so join us next time for Not Your Grandma's Cancer Show Mm -hmm.